This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. We're here today on the Edge of Innovation. We're talking with Greg Arnett, the founder of Sonian. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah. Isn't that cool? Retro. Yeah, it is. I was looking on eBay for like the old-fashioned one. Yeah. Available. Yeah, I was. It's it's amazing how big the economy is. I'm always surprised that there's a machine, a factory somewhere making it. We're talking about the on-air sign here in our window in our studio, and it just it's amazing how many things you can get, and that there's a sustainable economy that consumes them all. Everything's being reinvented around LEDs as well. Right. Exactly. Well, now you were interested really in LEDs. Back when, what, who was the company in Boston? Color Kinetics. Yeah, Color Kinetics. And you did yeah. that in your house. I did, yeah, a long time ago. Is that still the same house now? Are you still in the same house? Yes, back then. That would have been the early 2000s. And that was really cutting edge. Made a big leap, a big investment in Color Kinetics LED lighting for cove lighting and color changing and wow. that kind of stuff. Now it's everywhere. Was it worth it, having made that investment? Yeah, yeah. learning curve. It's funny, the equipment I put in. Now, going back to around 2003, 2004, is considered you know ancient right now. Of course, yeah, and yeah. A couple of the transformers have burnt out. And wow. Because this stuff wasn't designed. I mean, it was mass-produced, but in limited quantities uh-huh. for professional lighting installations. Interesting. And I'm kind of a tinkerer around electronics. I've yep. taken them apart and had to cobble together replacement stuff from existing parts and wow. some things on eBay. Because the transformers aren't available anymore. If they yep. are, they're really expensive. I see. And, but I was fortunate to come across a collection of newer generation replacement parts. I mean, right. Fixtures and transformers. Uh-huh. So one of my weekend projects is to rip out the old and, and upgrade myself. Wow. Um, now, is Color Kinetics still a viable business? Are they in business or have they gone out? No, they are. So they were acquired by Philips. Oh, oh I, okay. And you probably know some of their technology is Philips Hue, mm-hmm. H-U-E which is uh, becoming really popular because it's, these, these are more individual discrete light fixtures, LED right. lights that do full color spread from cool white, warm white, all the way to RGB. Right. And you can control them with Alexa and your smartphone and web apps, and they plug into all the latest generation of smart home technologies. Well, cool. And stuff. So we're here today on the Edge of Innovation. We're talking with Greg Arnett. Currently, now you've got a new title, but I'm going to ca- call you the founder of Sonian. Is that fair? That's fair, sure. Okay. But some stuff has happened, and we'll get into that and, and all that. But you're an entrepreneur of of a long time, pretty much probably your whole life, I think. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been 30 years. Yeah. Thinking about ideas in the tech space, creating companies to solve problems, and moving, you know, moving on to the next thing. So when you grew up, what were you interested in? Were you a bookworm? Were you a sports person? Were you a nerd? Like, I mean, I was. You know, I loved technology and, and cool things. What was that like for you? Yeah, definitely a self-categorized nerd. Okay. interested in electronics, technology of the era. I grew up, you know, in the 70s and the 80s. Okay. So a lot of it was analog stuff I was yeah. tinkering around with. Got influenced by a grandfather who was into ham radio. Oh, okay. So, I got you... my ham radio license. Oh, you did? Back in the 1970s as a teenager. And cool. Kind of tinkered around with radio electronics for a lot. You had to learn a lot of radio electronics right. to get your license, yep. as well as Morse code. And then evolved into early interest in computers. And so, some of the early, early computers that our generation was like TRS 80s yep. and the Texas Instrument World Computer. What was your first computer? It was a something out of England called a Sinclair. I it's think. mine too. It mine too. A little teeny, almost the size of a book. ZX80. Yeah. Yeah. The Sinclair, and then you know, in high school, we were fortunate. I went to a, 
a high school that was in Haverhill High School, very large high school for the entire city. Okay. And the data processing for the whole city was actually in the high school. Oh, very cool. So we had actually access to a large amount of computer resources, including IBM System 360s. Wow. And TRS-80 labs and stuff, so I got to tinker around a lot with that kind of stuff. So I, I did similar things. I was very much into audio and electronics and building audio components and stuff like that. And computers, I got the ZX80, and it was, oh, this is cool. You know, this is neat. But was there an inflection point there that made you choose computers, or was it just technology in general? Are you a computer nerd or are you a technology nerd, I guess? I would say technology-focused with the most recent time I spent in the computer realm right. or information technology realm. Right. I had an uncle who was a the vice president of engineering at Prime Computer back oh, a long, cool. long time ago when that was actually a, a name that you know, resonated right. in this area. Yeah. And he hooked me up with a terminal that we could have in the home. Really? So plug into their, what they would call a mainframe. Yep. And got to dabble in languages like Fortran and stuff yep. like that, which was what, what people would be doing. But you had it at home. Right, which I got to use very little of it because it tied up the one phone line he had. Uh, at that time, even a call down into where we were up in the North Shore and into Boston would have been a, a toll call. Yep. So it was fun, but not as I did get to maximize as much as I <laughs> And I'm, I'm sure when the phone bill came, they're like, Greg, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. So, so, uh, wow, that's cool. That for a while. So I had some opportunistic early access to technology mm-hmm. from some family inputs. My father, my, my family in general wasn't into technology per se, but they're right. very entrepreneurial in other kinds of business. Okay. In, in chemistry and chemical stuff. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I didn't really gravitate towards that myself and got kind of tied into electronics and Interesting. tinkering around and building stuff. So did you, do you know the right end of the soldering iron to hold? Yes. Okay, yeah. so you, you're, you, you're that level because some people are like, they don't know what to do with yeah. the soldering iron. Yeah, I was fortunate when I was growing up to just fall into things that, situations that were very interesting to me and also financially lucrative. Right. So in high school, my, my high school part-time job was to work for a, a local electronics company that manufactured emergency lighting systems. Oh, cool. The kind of things you'd see in the corner of a building that yep. the power goes out. And so I was working on the assembly line, manufacturing PCB boards or, or diagnosing problems. And eventually, I, I was actually managing people. Wow, that's cool. It's kind of funny that's... as a high schooler. But it was the perfect job. It went from 2 in the afternoon until 5 and didn't have to work on weekends. And Wow. At that time, all my friends were working at the supermarket. And they yep. had to work at nights or, you know, on, you know, on the weekends. Yeah. So it lined up nicely. But uh, So I got to learn to solder. Right. Take things apart. Right. Use those solder pumps. Yep. You know, the, the solder sucker. The solder sucker. Yeah. Take away the, so I and then if, myself on a nice clean yeah, house. exactly. <laughs> I was, I was, I don't know why I'm saying this. I was on YouTube the other day, and I, a video came up that they said I'd be interested in, and boy, were they right! It was how to properly tin and clean your soldering iron. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, no, that's yeah, really that's geeky. Yeah. It is, it is. <laughs> but I'm like, there's a YouTube, there's a YouTube video with 165,000 yeah. hits on it, which is amazing to me. Yes, you can. So you went to college? I did. I went to UMass Amherst. And what what was your degree? Or? Uh, I was a kind of a I was able to do a, a bachelor's degree in individual concentration. So it was a blend of liberal arts and computer science. Okay. So, and so, what was your goal? Did you want to be a programmer? I mean, computer science sort of. Yeah. It, they didn't have a lot of things to offer back then. I'm sure. No, this would have been in the early '80s, and there really wasn't a computer science major back then. Right. Most people were. If they wanted to go into computers, they were doing electrical engineering. Right. Or mechanical engineering. Mm-hmm. 
and I started off as a chemistry major, and then just oh. kind of got bored with that. Yeah. And then physical chemistry kind of killed me. I said, oh, this is not what I want to mm-hmm. do. So switched into a combo degree. And UMass was so big, you could design your own program, and you had a sponsor and thesis guide. Right. To feature it. I thought I would probably do like something like tech writing. I don't know. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know what I was going to do. So what was your first job out of college? So I was, I was fortunate. One of those, again, I, I stumbled onto something. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, I'm a really big believer in the law of attraction. So uh-huh. I must have been yep. thinking about this mm-hmm. and I manifested it somehow. I got an internship my last semester for a company in Woburn that was called ABC Software. And its job was basically, back then, was to help people leverage the one, two, three spreadsheet. Oh, so okay. ABC, one, two, three. Sure. It's kind of like a, kind of a hokey name, but... That exposed me to PCs and business. Okay. I've never seen that realm before. So I was, I was writing tech manuals for their software. Oh, interesting. And I turned into just doing everything for them. They offered me a job when I graduated college. Okay. So I just segued right from the internship into full-time employment. And this is pre-days of VC and so forth. Mm-hmm. But, so this company hooked up with Business Land and basically mm-hmm. was the installation unit for all the IBM PC sales in the mid-1980s. Right. Turned into local area networking, Novell networking. Right. And I just kind of just kept following that path. Okay. And was mostly working on the side of IT that was helping small small and medium-sized businesses implement technology for the first time. Okay. So a lot of early PC networking. Right. Little custom programming jobs here and there in DBase 3. Oh, wow. Remember Clipper? Yes, I do. Yes. Did you do Clipper work? Yeah. Oh, wow. These little teeny apps. That, yeah. You know, were, And they were were lightning fast in Clipper compared to D-Base. That was always the astonishing thing to me. Right. And then I kind of got involved in what was called then 4GL programming, Uh this platform called Clarion. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's been – I haven't heard that in years. Yeah. Anyway, that that just evolved, evolved, evolved. And, then, and uh, this is in ABC? No, no, this is after that. Oh, so after ABC. Well, yeah. let's. I want to get yeah. that transition. Oh, so you were at ABC, quote unquote, corporate America. Yeah, but the, was the, it a mom and pop or was it a? Uh, it was two thirty-ish guys that got together. They. How many employees at that time? Oh, it was. I mean, like 15. Okay. Well, that's a decent number. But, I mean, it was a small company. Yeah. So they weren't trying to compete or be like Lotus 123. They just used the name. Yeah. And they had some connections with business land. They also developed an application that helped, I think it was funeral homes manage something. Okay. That, yeah. So they were doing lots of different things. Yep. They eventually got onto the Lotus Notes bandwagon. Okay. And were doing all kinds of, I, since I left, yep. they got into Lotus Notes. For so why did you leave there? Just wanted to sort of scratch some different inches, yep. I guess, so to mm-hmm. speak. And the opportunity to grow in that environment was, I can see, was not going to. Sure. Small company. Good. Yep. And so I went to, I left there, I think, I left there, I went to work for, that time, PC Week Magazine was just becoming mm-hmm. really popular. Yep. And I took a job as their network administrator. Oh, really? Okay. And did that for a very short period of time. I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to work for a specific company just doing network administration. At that time, they were on a 3Com network. Gosh. I wasn't interested at that. So I left that and then went to work for another company doing kind of internal IT. Mm -hmm. And then went to work for a, after that, went to work for a, I guess what you call it a PC network reseller back then. Okay. In the early 90s. All right. That was servicing all the law firms around Boston. Okay. So I got involved a lot of technology around upgrading like old style Wang systems yep. to modern, right. back then modern PC based right. plans, word processing, email. Yep. I got kind of into the email theme and yep. been kind of writing email now since then. Right. So then what was the. 
the change or the inflection point that occurred that said, I'm going to start my own business? So that consulting company got acquired by another consulting company. I worked there for a while, mm -hmm. focused on mass email and groupware. Back then they called it groupware. Mm -hmm. Specifically, Exchange, Microsoft Exchange, mm -hmm. GroupWise, yeah. Notes. I really just resonated with me. I love technology that helped people communicate mm -hmm. efficiently with each other. Yep. And I love seeing how the implementation of an email system in an organization that didn't have it before right. changed a lot of the ways people thought about technology and getting rid of paper-based memos and yep. going to you know, electronic messaging and yep. so forth. Cybersecurity is critical for today's businesses. Savior Labs is a Boston cybersecurity firm that cares for your business and your team. We solve problems so you can focus on what you do best. Just follow the link in the show notes and enter code SECURITY for more information. Now, I know, just as an aside, you were a big fan of GroupWise. Yeah. I was, yeah. too. It's I great. thought it was, yeah. I loved the client. Yeah. Just the, I mean, I like the whole infrastructure, but, I mean, that's that could be a whole episode in itself, <laughs> is just to talk about how that whole world changed. But anyway, so you were doing this for this company, sort of their messaging expert, I guess. I was, yeah. And then what happened? You... That company got acquired. At that point, you know, you hear, I was reflecting upon myself, and I wanted to do my own thing. I, wanted, mm -hmm. I didn't want to work for anybody, or I didn't want to. Where do you think that came from? It's in my genetic code. My yeah. father's the same way. Okay. Entrepreneurial kind of background. My father's a serial entrepreneur. I mm -hmm. grew up in that environment. It didn't scare me. Mm -hmm. Are all your siblings entrepreneurs? I've three younger brothers, two of us are, and two of us aren't. Okay. Well, yeah. that's good. Yeah. So it's there. So you yeah. decided what were you going to So what were you going to do? What was the opportunity? Yeah. The first thing I focused on was so looking at email and messaging and seeing that as a, as a consultant in that space, I was solving the same problem over and over. So mm -hmm. just call it productize this. You know, yeah. Productize this thing. And it was around, is the email system working? What's the yep. health of the email system? Okay. Stuff. So that turned into, all right, let's design some software to make that a product and created this company called Alertware Okay, that was an email monitoring system back in the mid-1990s. Okay, cool. And you know, it was very successful for totally grassroots. I don't know how to do anything. Yep. And that company got acquired by another bigger company called NetPro. Okay. Out of uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. At the time, NetPro was the leading Nobel third-party add-on. Oh, okay. Yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, it's and, starting to, yeah. So they renamed the product called Mail Central and... I didn't go with the acquisition, uh -huh. so that funded my ability to create another company that was called IntelliReach. And initially, IntelliReach was looking at Palm, doing something on Palm Pilot. At the uh -huh. time, I was really interested in the Palm Pilot. I thought it's kind of a big business use case yep. and so forth. So that didn't find a way to make some money on that mm -hmm. in the early days. I reverted back to a theme I knew, which is email, and then IntelliReach started to do things around email. Right. Email reporting, analytics, health, right. that kind of stuff. Very cool. So now, have you, you're a CTO in general, a founder, CTO. Do, yeah. How would you characterize yourself? Is that fair? You're a CTO? Yeah, founder slash CTO. Type, and, yeah. and so why didn't you go towards the business president kind of thing? In the early days of both Alertware and IntelliReach, I wore lots of different titles yep. as, as the company morphed from yep. early days to getting sort of more mature. And I felt my best, being true to myself, my, my best contribution to the project would be Focus on technology, align myself with someone who can handle, handle business, mm -hmm. and pair up. Mm -hmm. pair and, and yeah. Go, go well, that's worked pretty well for you, I think. It has, yeah. I think in hindsight, I probably was putting some limiters on myself that I didn't need to. I see. Because I had not seen, like, a pattern 
where, oh, I can do business as well as I technology. See. So okay. just in terms of things of how do you create a sales team, how do you do marketing. Right. I self-limited said, oh, I could never figure that out. Ah, interesting. Now if I were to start something, I would do a different role. Okay. All right, so you started in Telereach. That's how I met you. Right. You actually acquired one of my companies, which was great experience and worked with you for several years. And then, so you sold in Telereach. Yeah, Telereach was acquired in 2005. Right. Or 2006, I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Around there. And similar situation, I did not go with the acquiring mm-hmm. company. Right. I just had no interest in working for right. a multi-thousand person organization. Right. It just wouldn't have been a good fit for me. So did you have an idea already? No. At that point, I was kind of burnt out from yeah. experience. It was the, my first battle with venture capital. Yeah. And was that thumbs up or thumbs down for venture capital? <laughs> To be blunt, thumbs down. Yeah, it wasn't a great experience. Mm-hmm. Was, hindsight, it was the wrong, the wrong investor type. Mm-hmm. It was a company that was more focused on media and interesting communications. Interesting. They wanted to get into software as a service. Ah, uh, so that's that interesting. Telereach was going to morph into yep. software as a service business after being kind of a software and appliance based. Yep. But the company that acquired the technology and the employee base, uh, you know, took it further. And yep. So you were burned out on that. So what did you do, go to the beach? or? I did. Yeah. yeah. So at that point, I was fortunate to have uh, built a house in Cape Cod yep. and took three or four months off during the summer. Right. Got very healthy, long uh-huh. walks. This is now 2006, I'm pretty sure, and got some clarity and stuff. Uh-huh. And I have a very kind of wide-angle, non-linear thinker uh-huh. Yep. trends, technology, mm-hmm. what's next, and started to like notice this thing called Amazon S3. Mm-hmm. I was like, what's Amazon, the bookseller, doing with this right. cloud object store kind of right. thing? And just started thinking, wow, what's, there's something here. Yeah. <laughs> figure this out. So that sort of became the next project. Right. It was around cloud and Amazon. So what were your thoughts about Amazon? Because it was, okay, what's a bookseller? I, I had the same thoughts. It was like, what's what's going on? And and then it turns out as you pulled the covers back, it was like, they did some serious work here. I mean, it wasn't just a initiative that was going to die, you know, like, oh, we're going to, the marketing people came up with an idea and they're going to put it up on paper, but it never turned into technology. But Amazon seems completely counter that. The, the technology they've built is rock solid. Yeah, it was very unconventional. And sort of a pre-story to that is during the IntelliReach days, and I'm not sure if this is after you were involved or not, I'm mm-hmm. not sure. We had been talking to Sun Microsystems right. around deploying our software on what they were calling the utility computing network. Oh, interesting. Pre-cloud. Utility pre-cloud. computing was pre-cloud. Huh. And we spent six months with them. The team up in Burlington, Massachusetts, where Sun had an office. They were going to set up basically an environment that we could deploy our software. And it would be a dollar per CPU hour and a dollar per CPU Okay. Which was seemed compelling, but when you, when you actually did the, the stretching analysis, it was still cheaper to go buy your own hardware. Okay. And the co-locate and the hosting center and just keep doing the way you're doing early hosted applications, which is you, you own the entire stack, right. including the hardware, the networking layer, everything. So you couldn't make the economics work, but boy, I was really excited about the idea of not having to worry about infrastructure and just focus on software problem that I could go solve for the customer. So when I saw S3, Amazon S3 mm-hmm. available about a year later, I think at that point it was 15 cents a gigabyte mm-hmm. for a cost storage, right. a good use of CSLA and SLA. That's the, the game changer here. Wow. So, you know, do something. The question I had was, would anybody take that seriously? Would a business mm-hmm. trust a bookseller? Uh, yeah, 
Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Okay. So then you're you're on the beach relaxing, and you hear about Amazon S3, and you're like, "There's something here. I've got a utility here." Yeah. There's something here that I think is gonna just an intuition was like, "This is gonna be big." Yeah. The price points are too compelling to, to walk away from. Right. Pay as you go. Pay with a credit card. Mm-hmm. What you use. Super simple. The API was really easy. And sort of take that with another thing that I was paying attention to, which was Ruby on Rails, mm-hmm. one of the first web application frameworks that sort of sponsored this idea of, again, if there's sort of this undifferentiated aspect of building something, mm-hmm. just let the framework take care of it. Mm-hmm. Don't reinvent the wheel every time. Right. right? How many mm-hmm. times do you need to reinvent a, a way for an app to talk to a database? Right, exactly. Stuff, yep. Or to deploy an app. Right. So combination of dabbling in Ruby on Rails and took a couple-day intensive programming course in New York City over the summer. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I met someone from Boston who was down there was uh-huh. comparing notes, and he was working on something that was Rails-related and also talking about Amazon. Uh-huh. I was like, hey, there's something going on here. So Amazon and Ruby on Rails kind of munch those together. Right. They weren't designed for each other particularly. But right. There are two nascent trends that I that just felt they were going to become more popular. Uh-huh. They, they did. Rails is now kind of, I think, on its... Yeah, it's it's, it's horizon. It's sunsetting almost. Yes, it's yeah, like, exactly. wow. <laughs> really fast, right? But for six, seven years, there was like the thing. Yes. And the one side of things, some Python frameworks, mm-hmm. and PHP frameworks and stuff. Right. So, yeah, so this, these are, became like building blocks or... Right, yeah. Know, yeah, components you could components, pull off the shelf. Pull off the shelf, get something done quickly and effectively. Okay. It wasn't just time to get since, but also right. So what built. time period was this? 2006, 2007. Yeah. Built this little teeny Ruby on Rails web app. It was like an early version of an online note taker. Hmm, cool. I just wanted to see how, and it ran it on Amazon. Ran it on EC2, mm-hmm. stored the data on S3, and it worked. I mean, it, it proved that something could, you could actually do this on AWS mm-hmm. in that 2007 time frame. Okay. So then what, what happened? You decided to start another company? You yeah, got so, rested, yeah. fit, ready, and rested? So end of 2007, end of 2006, early 2007, started to network. And I've always been interested in email and messaging right, and, right. and the problems around that. So mm-hmm. not so much build an email system or messaging system, but help solve problems around those environments. And right. problems were morphing from... Anti-spam and antivirus were the things people worried about more to compliance, retention, mm-hmm. data preservation, searching on the data, that right. kind of stuff. So I thought that's a domain area I know. I had lots of contacts, had a certain momentum uh-huh. in that area prior to the IntelliReach acquisition. So maybe I could take that knowledge base with this game-changer cloud, right. this framework called Ruby on Rails, mash them together and yep. do something. That's sort of we started Sony. Uh, I see. Okay, and what was the initial goal of Sonia? Did it have? Did you have a vision for it? In a sense, yeah, it was you know a cloud-based software as a service that would help businesses retain, search, and analyze their employee-generated content. Do you, back then, it was email. Did okay. you stay true to that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So no, no pivots. Were there any major pivots in there? The pivots. We certainly had pivots. The pivots were how we went to market. Oh, interesting. So we, we started with it's going to be a direct sale. We'll sell mm-hmm. it directly. Mm-hmm. And we might have been a little bit ahead of where the customers mm-hmm. were back in that time period. I think it was just at the tipping point where SaaS was taking off and going mainstream. Mm-hmm. And Salesforce had been around for a while. Right. Proving it out. And they're promoting the idea of no software. Right. And other SaaS systems were getting you know popular and right. accepted. 
there weren't any SaaS apps built on the cloud back then. Right. It was still SaaS, SaaS self-hosted. Right. Or in a cold, like a, a Matasite or something. And so that was a little bit uh, against the current, so right. to speak, of trying to do something on the cloud. Within a couple of years, it all switched entirely. Was if, you did, if you weren't using cloud, people yeah. would be funny. Yeah, what's going on? When we were out there promoting or raising some initial funding, we had to sell the cloud as much as we had to sell yeah. the business problem we're trying to solve. Interesting. So that was a little more headway than I expected or anticipated. It, it, it all worked out. So the pivot we made was instead of selling directly to businesses mm-hmm. the service that they would add on to their email environment, we found that companies that were providing hosted email, either hosted exchange mm-hmm. or hosted something else, they had a, a gap in their portfolio that we could fill for them. I see. So we focused on white labeling and OEM and APIs I see. to offer to those other providers that then would sell to the end user, the right. end customer. Wow. We've been talking with Greg Arnett. And what's your official title now? Technical Evangelist Business Development for the OEM platform. Of Barracuda. Of Barracuda. Okay. Barracuda Data Protection. So, all right. All right. Okay. Cool. We'll hopefully see you soon again. Thank you for the opportunity to get together. Absolutely. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.